0: guys Hi. this is charlotte and this is venus
1: we're just coming on here to let you guys know to please bear with us we had some I technical difficulties, difficulties this week. <laughs> but we promise you next week you guys will have a brand new episode everything has been
0: resolved yes we had a whole lot of gravitational pull <laughs> so we're throwing everything out
1: yes it was and then it was a full moon
0: right yes. so it, it definitely affected us yes
1: but please listen to this episode today. We would replay our interview with Marissa. Make sure you guys check her out. And make sure that you guys come back next week for another episode. Yes. And thanks for listening to, the Girls. to Girls Like Us.
2: Welcome to Girls Like Us Podcast. <laughs> welcome, welcome to Girls Like Us Podcast.
1: said i was asking for it because i probably like bad guys this post this quote is coming from an instagram account and they are encounters with men they have a lot of little stories that we will be sharing people that have come forward hi Hi guys guys. welcome Welcome to to girls Girls like Like
0: us Us. this is (laughs) venus and this is charlotte Hey guys, once again, coming to you, just a reminder, please take the time to rate us wherever you listen to us on, um, all of our social platforms, our IG, our Facebook, our Spotify, wherever you're listening on that, iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, um, anything that you could possibly listen listen to us on and rate us, please just take that time, um, just a few moments, give us your opinions, your thoughts, we always love to hear from you yes don't forget to also follow us on social media
1: and leave us a comment review us rate us it is very very appreciated
0: yes please and thank you yes so how are you charlotte i am pretty good i can't complain how was your weekend uh what did i do i work this weekend i um you work uh, every weekend i know (laughs) right exactly um (laughs) I actually didn't it was really just working this weekend um working a meeting and that was about it for the most part um oh i did step out with my best friend that was good um always nice good. dinner and drinks so that was cool it was chill productive weekend <laughs> look at you <laughs> trying yeah now chill and productive is always good yes yeah. those are the best mm-hmm. i'm looking for the weekend that i actually absolutely have to do nothing like that's the weekend i'm looking forward to don't know when it's i was just gonna say let me know when that's gonna happen i don't know when it's coming but i am has to overdue you know i just want that weekend like a straight weekend not having to leave the house and just chill (laughs) like no work nothing like so let me know when that happens Uh, 2020 i'm it's happening in 2020 i don't know when hopefully soon but yeah Yes. what Um, about
1: you i i've been on this cleaning mode (laughs) i went to last minute dinner saturday night like, literally, last minute, I thought that we were going to get kicked out of the restaurant because we got there, like, an hour before they closed. Oh, they you people. I'm not one of those. It just happened to be... <laughs> I had spent all day cleaning, and I was already laying down, and my friend hit me up. And I'm like, yeah, let's go. So we went. And then Sunday, uh, my friend's brother, I'm, like, really good friends with his brother and his brother's boyfriend, uh, they had, like, a little thing at their house, and that's all I did. I had mimosas mm. and Mexican food. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah, so
2: <laughs> right.
1: So that's pretty much what I did. Uh you know, I'm really trying to clear out the last ten years of my life and throw everything away.
0: Nice. So I
1: haven't really left my house, but that's right. pretty much it. Okay, okay. So today we have another special episode. Charlotte and I are doing an interview. With a survivor from one of one of our groups, as the surviving group, and she is coming forward to tell her story. Uh, I hope that this guys this helps you guys. This makes you feel like you're less alone. It makes you feel less crazy because I know we go through these ups and downs. We thank all of you for you know your support and the willingness to tell your stories. We're here with Marissa. Hi. Hi. How are you today? I'm good. I met Marissa in a group, a support group. Uh, she shared her story with a, with me, and then she shared her story, and I thought that her story was so powerful, and so it, it was different, and you know, everybody's story story is so different, and I asked her if she was willing to come on, and she agreed, thankfully. So, Marissa, do you want to give us a rundown of your story?
3: Uh, yeah. It's been a long journey for sure, uh, basically I was raped in my own home in 2016 here in Utah and I was unconscious at the time and uh, my husband walked in on it, he heard noises coming from the bathroom and came to check on me and found my rapist on top of me and pulled him off, threw him downstairs and out of our house and after a few hours of me slowly coming back to consciousness and regaining some amount of sobriety I guess we had been drinking pretty heavily all night Mm -hmm. and it took a few hours for me to really wrap my head around what he was saying and that this had even happened and so after a few hours I finally conceded that okay if this really happens then yes we need to call the cops so we did went in for the rape kit and it all just kind of spiraled out of control from there I mean the responding officers didn't really do much of anything they took pictures of the bathroom it's actually the same bathroom floor that's in my uh, me too post and yeah so they took pictures of the bathroom but they didn't document any of the alcohol they didn't take a breathalyzer when we went in for the rape kit they didn't bother to take blood or urine samples for toxology even though they knew alcohol had been involved they uh, told the nurse at the hospital to Not even bother taking pictures of the scrapes and bruises on my back because I was unconscious. Apparently, I couldn't say for sure that they were the result of the rape, so it was not included in the exam.
1: Wow. Can uh, I ask you, did they call an advocate for you?
3: I did, we, I have an advocate, uh, but she was not there at the hospital. Uh, I, said I was still fairly intoxicated, even as we were at the hospital, and kind of in shock with the whole thing, so I don't fully remember everything exactly. I know there were a few nurses there and a couple of detectives i found it a little weird that the detectives stayed in the room staring at me while they were conducting the exam and yeah one of the nurses actually after they had said that you know came over to me and said you know hey you and your husband can take pictures of the scrapes and bruises when you get home and you can turn them in yourself so that way it's in there which we did but i mean
0: that's weird that they didn't do
3: it (laughs) yeah and (laughs) We took the pictures, but I don't even know if those were really even considered or what. And then phone call recordings of the many drunken phone calls I made after the incident, trying to figure out what was happening. My husband didn't respond best to walking in on that and kind of took off, so I was panicked and drunk and calling a bunch of people.
2: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
3: Oh, yeah. So.
1: so once you reported it to the police, what did the police say? was gonna happen next or what did they do next because I'm pretty sure that, I mean your husband saw it so your husband knew the assailant and I mean he was in your home so you knew your assailant. Um, kind of,
3: it was my roommate at the time, my husband works as a DJ and uh, at one of his DJ nights our roommate ran into an old friend that she hadn't seen in years and my rapist was actually a friend of her friend who had come over
0: uh, that night with a couple people. They were maybe six of us, I think in total. Mm -hmm. Oh, so you didn't even know him really. It was just like a friend of a friend.
3: Yeah. I mean, I said I had met him at my husband's DJ night briefly. They had come over the night before, which I actually found out after the fact that apparently the first night that they had come over he had followed my roommate into the bathroom and shoved his hand down her pants and tried to finger her and she shoved him off of him and he had told her you know even in her statement to the police she said that you know he shoved his hand down her pants and when she shoved him off him he said oh well i thought you were drunk wow Wow. that's crazy so i guess that's
1: his definition of consent if you're drunk
3: apparently yeah and as far as i know i was unconscious on the bathroom floor which it was a kid-free weekend you know we have several children um, five actually
2: mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> and so you know having a kid-free weekend is kind of rare so mm-hmm. we were just hanging out with friends and whatever and like, and she had never told me about that until after the rape had happened and after we had called police and gone through the rape kit and so I was pretty horrified and then she ended up moving a few weeks after that I think uh, she was only living with us for about another month after that and yeah but like the police didn't do any kind of follow-up I mean, after we did the kit and everything, they came over and collected, like I said, the phone call recordings and text messages, pictures and whatnot from the night that we had taken. But after that, we didn't hear anything. They never really interviewed me. I mean, they asked me a few questions when they first got here, you know, but they didn't really ask much. I told them I don't remember. I just know what my husband told me and what he says he saw.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And was he ever said, questioned well, at all? The assailant? Right. Was he, was he, he ever in? questioned at all?
3: Um, no, they never really questioned him. He from the police report it looked like I guess a day or two after I reported it, or maybe the day of, I'm not sure exactly. Uh, he had called the police himself because I guess, you know, small town he had heard through the grapevine that I had reported it. Mhm. And so he called and self-identified and basically said that he had his clothes on the whole time, that nothing ever happened, and that I was just lying about it. Did they take
0: any DNA
3: from him? uh, They did, about three months after the fact. they, They never called me, they never called my husband, they never called my roommate, they never brought anybody in for questioning. According to the report, they tried to schedule for him to come in for questioning a couple of times but he canceled and never actually went in for it and then after about three months they did a buckle swab or pupil swab however you say that
2: mm-hmm. um
3: basically a clean dna swab for comparison for the kit and they took mine and oh my gosh this story there's so much <laughs> uh, oh my god there's so much um So in the three months before they collected the swabs, uh, it turned out that he also had given me an STD, which I had tried repeatedly to call the police and tell them so that they could document that. I couldn't get them to call me back. I left multiple messages. My husband called and left multiple messages. They never got back to us. Same thing with finding out that he had assaulted my roommate. We tried to call and inform them about that. They wouldn't call us back. And then when I went in for the slob, I'm like, okay, now now I have a chance. Now I can tell you Mm -hmm. about the stuff that's happened since I finally have you in front of me. And they didn't care. Didn't register. Just, "Uh uh-huh, okay, yep, that's great okay and I'm like okay well do you want me like I can give you a medical release or I can get copies of my medical records from my OB you know my OB confirmed that the timeline of the outbreak matched up to the time of the rape and they were just like oh no that's not necessary and they just didn't really seem to care and I'm just like okay well I mean at least I told them I told them about the assault I told them about the STD so hopefully maybe something will happen and they've got the swabs now so hopefully they'll get the kit process and then I spent two and a half years of not hearing anything after about a year I gave up even calling I called and called my husband called and called we left so many messages and they never called us back I mean my victim's advocate would at least answer my calls and get back to me but you know she only has limited access to the information so all she could really tell me was oh well your kit hasn't come back yet and they can't really do anything until it does and finally the first week or second week of January yeah beginning of this year my rape kit finally came back and that was the first I had heard since the rape happened in 2016.
1: How did you find out that they had processed your rape kit was it because you called or because they eventually Yeah, reached out they eventually you. reached out.
3: You know, they called me. Uh, it was a new detective. It wasn't the same one that was originally assigned to the case and he called to inform me that the kit had come back and that it did test positive for my rapist's DNA and wanted to make sure that I was still willing to go forward which of course I was. I was mostly just kind of surprised to finally hear something. I at that point, I kind of assumed, you know, that my kit must have just been lost in legal limbo with all the other thousands of backlog great kids, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, and then I spoke with that detective a few times, and he was pretty insistent that we had a strong case and that he had talked to somebody at the uh, county attorney's office and they said that there was enough to put out a nationwide warrant, so he sent it in to the DA for that, and then it was back to hearing nothing, so I got conversation about three times for a few weeks in January, and then it was back to nothing, and you know, I called new detective a couple times, left messages, didn't get a call back. I'm like, oh great, we're back to this game again. Yeah. And so I just kind of gave up on it. I started going to a local support group for survivors and uh, they encouraged me to start calling again and calling the detective and calling the prosecutor's office. And uh, they gave me a number of a woman that worked uh, with their special victims. And so I finally got a hold of her and this was in... Uh, August, Mm -hmm. and she finally was able to pull up my case for me, and she told me that they, that the prosecutor had dismissed my case two months earlier in June.
0: Why?
1: And you were never informed of this at all?
3: No, I was never informed that my case had been denied, and all it said on the, on the report she said was insufficient evidence, and I got understandably angry and kind of started yelling at her but i'm sure it must not be the first time that's happened to her because she totally just took it in stride uh Mm -hmm. she's like well yeah no i'd I'd be pretty mad too like i i don't understand i mean you have a witness you have a positive dna kit right like you have another person that he assaulted the night before like i don't understand why they would stay in sufficient evidence either and so uh, she said that she would talk to the prosecutor and get back to me and then of course she never got back to me seems like an ongoing trend it's like just getting people to call you back and Mm -hmm. return messages just seems like an impossible endless game and so I did call my victim's advocate after I talked to her and uh she told me that she had never been informed. They never told her that the case had been denied. So, um, at that point, I went and I'm like, okay, well, if my case is closed, I can get the police report now.
2: So, I put in the grammar request to get a copy of my police report. Mm-hmm.
3: And I called them to make sure they received the request and when I talked to the woman in the records department she said that the new detective was scrambling to get a hold of the prosecutor because he didn't know that it had been denied.
1: So nobody talked to each other about your case being denied? Yeah
3: and it was now two months later and the only reason I had even found out was because I kept calling until I finally got a hold of someone.
1: Did you ever Um, get a copy of your police
3: report? I did. Um, I went through the police report and honestly I was kind of blown away because like I, I couldn't believe it they never they never documented that I had been or that my roommate had been assaulted the night before they never documented that I had contracted the STD I mean the detective made a mention of my roommate's assault the new detective uh-huh. when I talked to him in January he noticed that but even he still didn't note that I had gotten the STD or volunteered to provide medical records and like it was insane to me how much they left out of the report and like they didn't do anything they didn't make an attempt, even when they went and did the buckle swab collection for him for the DNA kit, you know, they still didn't ask him any questions or note anything that he said at that time, and as it turns out, I also found out in January, uh, right about that same time that those swabs were taken is the same time he decided to quit his job and leave the state. Wow, so he's still out
0: here probably doing it to other people. Oh, yeah.
3: And they believe he moved to California and but they couldn't track him down and and I ended up speaking to the prosecutor because I was furious and the prosecutor, oh my gosh uh, the prosecutor I spoke to for about an hour and he basically went off on listing how, you know, oh a jury would never prosecute it because you were drunk and you know, most of these people on the jury are going to be, you know, little old ladies or people that have never drank a day in their life because we live in a very conservative area and he's like, they'll never prosecute, it'll never happen and how do they know you weren't just having an affair and you know I'm like are you kidding me like no I'm not having an affair on the bathroom floor with my husband in the next room like what are you out of your mind right and we're like well yeah but I mean it happens a lot i mean how many women go out and have a one night stand and then they regret it the next day and then they cry rape and i'm like excuse me
1: that doesn't happen a lot right no no
3: that doesn't happen a lot like not even a little actually those cases are incredibly rare and it's infuriating because it really does come down to all this rape culture and the victim blaming and Mm -hmm. like the fact that there was alcohol involved and it's just like okay but alcohol is literally the number one alcohol facilitated rape is literally the most common form of rape and like if it doesn't fit into this stereotypical old school mentality of what rape is this violent aggressive you know picking you up in an alleyway or in a dark street. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if it's if it's not a stranger and it's not some violent thing, mm-hmm. then it doesn't count to them. It's not real. It's not provable. And at the end of it all, you know, I mean the DA agreed to have a new prosecutor review the case and I found out on Halloween that it was denied for a second time. And, you know, I spoke to the Utah Council on Victims of Crime and, you know, they had, talked to me about, you know, I could potentially take it up to the Utah um, Attorney General's office. They passed a new bill this year that allows victims to do that, but of course that's also incredibly underfunded and they already have a long waiting list. And you know the attorney told me, well, it would probably be years. You'll be waiting around for years and chances are it'll still end up being dismissed because it's a messy case because everybody was drinking. So unless the laws change, like there's really nothing they can do about it because, as it sits, the reason they denied the case was basically that they couldn't prove that I was unconscious or too intoxicated to consent. Which, of course, they couldn't. No, they didn't make any attempt to document my level of intoxication. They didn't even try. That uh, they couldn't prove, and this is the one that gets me the most. Is, They couldn't prove that he knew or should have known that I was unable to or did not consent. What?
1: So you pretty much being unconscious is not proven enough of you not being able to consent. And it was your fault because you drank. Because
3: they couldn't prove that I was too intoxicated to consent and they couldn't prove that I was unconscious.
0: I mean, your husband was there who proved, who seen it, seen the act. He should have been witness enough. I mean, what more proof do you need? He was there, and you didn't, they didn't even do the proper procedure.
3: I know, that's what I'm saying. Like, they never did any follow-up interviews with him, and unfortunately, I mean, the first detective flat-out ignored us for over two years. Like, there, there was nothing. Nothing happened. They did no investigation. They didn't make any real effort to him or bring him in and you know like they didn't bother to do follow up interviews with the witness or with me like they, they didn't do anything they wouldn't even return our phone calls and it's just ah. Uh, and I mean yeah the new detective did better Uh Still, some shortcomings there too, but you know he at least he did better, and he was very proactive, and you know he wanted to push the case forward, and you know even after it was denied, and I had spoken to him and uh, a sergeant above him, they had both told me they believe there absolutely was enough to put out a warrant, and like they still wouldn't do it because it basically it's the prosecutor's discretion. It's prosecutor doesn't think that they can prove beyond a reasonable doubt which is an incredibly high bar Mm -hmm. like they won't
1: pick up your
2: case yeah
3: exactly i mean Mm -hmm. uh if i remember correctly the national average you know for of the of those who are reported of the rapes that are reported only about 16 percent of them are ever indicted or arrested like they're even arrested at all, mm-hmm. and only about six percent actually go to
1: jail. Yep, because it's so. To them, it's so hard to prove. It's so. It's like
0: whatever. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. hard to prove because then it's like, was it consensual? Were you just? Mm-hmm. Are you just saying that? Yeah. It makes it very right. difficult for the victims.
1: Can we ask, um, were both of your detectives men? Yeah. yeah. That it kind of figures. It just seems that the more men are involved, the less it goes
0: forward or it goes anywhere. Like, it seemed that lack of concern is not there at all. Yeah,
3: well, and the prosecutors were men as well, and, I mean, it just, I don't know, and I, I mean, I'm not a prosecutor, I'm not a lawyer, I don't know, but at the same time, it just, it seems insane to me that, you know, and they say, oh, well, the, there was no semen, and I'm like, well, of course there was no semen. My husband pulled him off of me. It's not like he had a chance to finish. Right and they're like oh well there wasn't the dna wasn't in your vagina it was you know outside the vagina and i'm like okay well that still proves sexual contact which shows that he was lying when he said nothing happened and that he had his clothes on the whole time right that's yeah.
1: sexual assault enough whether he came or he didn't come in you or on you i mean there's some there's some men that can't come that doesn't mean that well, they, they don't wait
3: all right and like i said i mean we reported fairly quickly but I mean it was still you know three maybe four hours between when the rape happened and actually yeah no it was about three or four hours between when it happened and when the police arrived and by the time we got to the hospital for the rape kit I believe at that point it was like 11 almost 12 o'clock it was almost noon so by that point you're talking six seven hours so, you know, I've gone to the bathroom a few times since then. I've been sitting, I would imagine, and, you know, it could leak out, whatever. But, like, like, how are you going to say that it, it doesn't prove penetration? It's like, okay, well, even if you have to take it down to sexual assault, right? you know, mm-hmm. that, like, that still proves sexual contact. Mm-hmm. Like, how is that not enough? Like, how are you using the lack of semen and the inability to prove penetration, which, again my husband was a witness to pulled him off of me saw his wet groin like how how is this not enough i don't i don't understand mm-hmm. i don't understand how this isn't enough and it's like all they could do was tell me over and over again that oh well it's because of the drinking but at the same time it's like the drinking makes us unreliable as witnesses and at the same time they also can't prove that i was too drunk to consent and like, it's, it just doesn't make sense it seems like they're using the same argument in, con- in contradictory
1: ways yeah they are they they're just using anything as an excuse to now move forward or to blame it on you or tell you that it was your fault when it was not your fault that person not only invaded your space but your home yeah exactly
3: and i mean it's like okay well yes i was drinking heavily like i said it was a kid free weekend we were cutting loose and having a good time whatever and it's like how am i supposed to expect like i'm supposed to know that I need to watch how much I'm drinking, and that I need to stay away from a friend of a friend who's over hanging out with us, like
1: at your I, own so home. At your own home. I, I mean, yeah. you weren't at a bar. You weren't at a club. You were in and your you own home. In your own home, and you still right.
2: To-
3: and I'm freaking. And I'm married. Like, like, how do you know? Like, what do you mean? Like, with that much drinking and the fact that I'm married, like, how could you possibly say that that's not, like, oh, it just is infuriating to me. And they're, oh, well, it could have been an affair. I'm like, an affair with some random guy that I barely know?
0: That is insane. It is. It's just a prime example of victim shaming and blaming, like, mm-hmm. blaming you, like, oh, you should have been drinking like that. Like, it, it's so unfair. That it, it keeps continuously yeah. happening.
1: Can you tell us a little bit of how this has affected you you know post the assault
3: uh well it's been a long journey uh, like i said my husband didn't react well initially um the whole rape culture and everything and no it's always the victim's fault and i mean even we blame ourselves Mm-hmm. Yeah, was unfortunately par for the course because that's what we've been raised with our whole lives. And when he walked in, he initially thought that I was cheating on him, which didn't make any sense to me. I had to ask him about it later on. I, I was like, Why? Why would you think that I was cheating on you? And he's like, Oh, I don't, I don't know. I'm like, Okay, well, what, what did I do? What did I say? Like, how did I react after you pulled him off me? He said, like, You didn't do anything. Like, I didn't do anything. I didn't say anything. I didn't get up. I didn't anything he's like well your eyes were open but no you didn't move you didn't get up you didn't say anything you were just laying there staring at the ceiling Mm -hmm. and it's like okay well (laughs) i mean that in and of itself i think would be proof that i was clearly incoherent at best Mm -hmm. and it's just ah i don't know so that caused a lot of problems Um, especially that first year or so, because I would get angry and blame him and, you know, well, you were the one that thought I was cheating. So of course the police didn't do anything when you're not doing it. So we had a lot of issues in our marriage after that. Um, but we have worked through all that and, you know, it still is definitely a trigger, uh, on that end, I think for both of us. And, you know, secondary survivors are a very real thing. And it's been studied and documented for decades that loved ones and, you know, witnesses, especially, are just as traumatized by these things as the primary victim. And yet, there's not really a lot of information out there or a lot of, you know, resources for support for secondary survivors.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: So, you know, like I said, he had a lot of it to process, too. He. Felt terrible and guilty for ever, honestly. Even still to this day, he still feels terrible about how he reacted. You know, just, so that was a big mess. And, you know, I've pretty much lost all faith in the legal system and our justice system at this point. And, and I mean, even with filing the complaints, you know, they called me back after that and it's like they said well all we can really do is make them aware of the complaint and you know make them uncomfortable while we ask them questions and they try to explain it away but that's all we can do like we we don't have the authority to fire anybody or force them to investigate or force them to put out a warrant or force them to prosecute like we have no power to do that so it's like okay so why why what is the point even of
1: the complaint and what is the point of them keeping to reach out to you if, it, if they're not going to do anything about it because they don't realize how much strain is putting in you, in your relationship, in your life. If you guys are just some, you know, in and out, in and out, in and out.
3: Oh, well, Exactly. And they, they don't do any, even with the complaints, I mean, they were supposed to respond to the complaint within 60 days and they still didn't respond to the complaint until I called them to say, hey, why haven't I heard from you? And then they made a rush response and sent a couple of quick emails and then sat there telling me how there's nothing they can do
1: <laughs> how did it affect you because you said you that you you have children and you what? know some survivors do go through a really bad depression did <clears throat> it, that affect anything like with your children's lives like you know maybe you being depressed or not being able to get up or um
3: i mean i've definitely gone through my bouts of depression and anxiety and i definitely i was diagnosed with ptsd and you know there's a lot of that but um as far as the kids go i've always been very open um my youngest is actually the result of a date rape uh yeah so they already knew that you know mm-hmm. so it's not like they hadn't known anything about sexual assault or about rape they were aware not in any detail or anything but you know, they know that my youngest was the result of a date rape, and they know what sexual assault is and what is and is not okay. I've always been very adamant about teaching them about sex education and their bodies and the laws around that. And, like, you don't do this to people, you don't talk, touch people without their permission, you know. And then, uh, I didn't tell them about this rape immediately. Um, it was about a year later, I finally told them. <laughs> I, they were whining about some stupid thing or another and that life isn't fair and I kind of snapped a little bit and I was like yeah well that's great I've been raped twice in my life life's not fair get over it and kind of felt bad for doing that I snapped at them like that but you know after the fact I'm like okay now I have to explain to them because I'm sure that probably confused them to death. Mm-hmm. So they only knew about the one. Now, I ended up having to explain to them about what happened. You know, again, not in any detail, but I did explain that I had been raped and that my husband had walked in on it. And, you know, that the case was still open and we were still waiting for the kit to come back. And, I mean, so they've known all about it. So when the kit came back, they all knew and they've all been kind of following along the case with me and watching my reaction to getting all of these updates or lack of updates.
1: How much time had passed between your first uh rape and then the second one?
3: Uh see the first one would have been in the beginning of two thousand twelve and then this one was May of twenty sixteen. So about four
1: years apart. It's just yeah. like I'm. I'm assuming. I'm guessing that you were healing because this is something nothing you never really get over and then you're healing, and it's just like, we're down this hole again.
3: Yeah, and you know, I never recorded the first one, um, because, I don't know, it was, (laughs) I was asleep when it happened, and he told me the next morning, because I woke up, and I felt weird, and my crotch smelled weird, and I'm like, what's going on? Do I have a yeast infection or something? Like, why does my crotch feel so weird? Why does it smell weird? And before I could even try to figure that out, he was like, oh, by the way, you know, you fell asleep last night, but, you know, I had my fun. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And and when I told family members and friends and stuff, it's like, everybody acted like it was normal. Like, oh, ha, oh, what an ass. Mm-hmm. Like, like, it was no big deal. Like, it was no different than if he had, I don't know, cheated on me or, you know, something like that. Like, it wasn't anything like bad. Like, it was even a my joke. Own- like,
0: you told, they totally disregarded it. Like, oh, this is something that just happened.
3: Well, yeah. Like, I even told his mother, you know, like, a couple of days after it happened, his mother was sitting with us. And I told her, I was like, yeah, so... He decided to have sex with me while I was asleep. And all she did was look at him and go, ah, you know, like, why would you do that? Like, oh, tiss tiss And I'm just like, seriously, that's it? That's just nothing? Like, okay, whatever. So I never even bothered to report it. And honestly, like, I didn't even register it as rape until my son was almost a year old, shortly before I met my current husband. And I was telling somebody the story of, you know, how I got, pregnant with each of my kids and I got to his story of how he was conceived and uh how I found out I was pregnant with him and this uh woman I was talking to I don't even remember who it was I think it was just a random acquaintance and I was telling her you know that oh yeah I was asleep and ha, ha what an ass right because that's how everybody treated mm-hmm. it and she looked at me kind of puzzled and she's like honey you you realize what you just explained to me is rape, right? And, like, as soon as she said it, I was like, oh, my God, how did I not put that together? Not realize, like, how how did that not register in my head? Like, I knew it was wrong, and I knew it was messed up, but I had never labeled it as rape until she said it, and it just hit me, and I'm like, oh, my God, that makes so much more sense. If
1: people just assume because you're in a relationship, that's consent mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How long had you been with him? Uh, uh, the
3: first one, I we had only been dating for about a month.
1: Had he been abusive in any other way, aside from that night?
3: Uh, I mean, I was on Zoloft at the time, I had just had my second child a few months earlier, and uh, so I was on Zoloft for postpartum depression, and that, well, it worked. <laughs> It made me very oblivious, I guess would be the best way to put it. Like, nothing bothered me, you know? Everything seemed fine. And, like, I had a lot of friends and my family members that met him. You know, they were like, why are you dating this guy? He's crazy. He's clearly unstable. And all I saw was, oh, he's cute. And, like, it just didn't register at all like I didn't see it and then after that happened and I realized I was probably pregnant I stopped taking Zola and oh my god as soon as I was off the medication I started seeing what everybody was telling me I was like no way like how did I why was I dating this guy what was I thinking and so we ended up separating and never talked to him again I ran into him once like a year later I think at a restaurant or something Mm -hmm. but Uh, yeah, like, he just pretty much disappeared out of my life after that, which that's fine, good riddance. I do know that he had also intentionally impregnated another girlfriend a few years earlier, and I had met her and met that baby, and he had signed over his parental rights, so he has no parental rights to that baby, and uh he told me himself that the reason he got her pregnant was to prove to people that he wasn't gay wow
0: Wow. oh my god
3: i said there were a lot of red flags when i was dating him but with the medication like it just didn't register i don't like i feel so stupid in retrospect looking back on it i'm just like oh my god how did i not see it but i think Uh, that's what
1: society tries to do to make ourselves blame ourselves ourselves. and no he was wrong he did this he chose to be a rapist he knew that you know he he knew you were on medication he knew that you were asleep yeah that is not okay that is not consent for him to have his fun as he called it right
3: and i just i don't know and i mean i contemplated having an abortion at the time you know after I found out I was pregnant and got off the medication and came back to my senses I thought about having an abortion decided logically it was probably the best option I mean I just had a new baby that was only you know four months old herself at the time and uh, she's also special needs so there was a whole lot going on with that and like I really was not in a position to be a single mom with three kids under the age of four mm-hmm. but once I had made that decision I'd just I ended up just crying for three days straight and realized, okay, well, I guess I'm not mentally capable of having an abortion. So I guess I'm having a third kid and just got my tube side after he was born. And, yeah, I mean, I met my husband, you know, when he was about a year old. And, you know, we've been married for over six years now. And it's, it's so strange, though, because, you know, I never really processed anything from the first rape, mostly because I didn't even acknowledge it as rape until almost two years later and you know it's just strange because when I finally even this rape I didn't really Process fully for the first year or so like I just I didn't know what to do or how to do it and I was afraid to go to the local support groups because it is such a conservative area and I'm like oh they're just gonna blame me because I was drunk and so I didn't really process it in the first year or so and then when I finally this year started going to the support groups and learning more about it and you know talking to other survivors it's like everything just kind of started falling into place and you know I never thought I Like the first rape, I I always thought it didn't really affect me. You know, I didn't realize it was rape. It didn't bother me. But then I started realizing all these PTSD symptoms and all of these, you know, common behaviors that happen with survivors after rape and it blew my mind I was like oh oh yeah no I did that oh and I did that oh yeah and I did that and it's like I never even realized that there was anything odd about it like yeah. at the time it made perfect sense
1: in my head yeah it just it just like it makes you realize that you're not crazy and what you're experiencing you're not experiencing it by yourself
3: yeah but, I mean that's, like I said, that's What is really so crazy about it is that even without realizing that it was rape, even without reporting it or really talking about it or really dealing with it, I still had so many of the symptoms of PTSD and of you know having been raped and i didn't even know that it was happening i didn't see it and you know even after this rape i was like oh yeah my first rape never affected me it wasn't like this i wasn't having nightmares i wasn't getting like where i can't sleep at night and you know like i wasn't having these arguments with people and being triggered and having meltdowns like I, that never happened that first one it
0: was right. Like it was because probably it was different circumstances the fact that you were passed out and then to actually like live through the live through it and waking up to something like this happening it definitely leaves you with serious anxiety and panic and definitely ptsd
3: well right and it's like i mean i still had symptoms and things after the first one it's just they were different Different. because it wasn't a random stranger that i barely knew it was somebody i was dating and you know like it wasn't a you know I i don't really know how to explain it it's just like basically when i look at how i responded from the first rape one of the most common ones is like hypersexuality and like not wanting relationships being unable to commit to relationships and you know things like that and I did that's exactly what happened after him like I wouldn't get into a real relationships I gave up on relationships I started you know going out to the bars fairly regularly and I was you hooking up with random people. Like, it was crazy. But at the time, it made sense to me because I'm like, oh, whatever, men are just stupid and I don't want to date anybody. I'm just going to have fun and, you know, do whatever and not worry about relationships. And, like, it seemed rational to me at the time, but now looking back on it, I'm like, oh, well, that explains it, actually. That makes a lot more sense.
1: What have you found after this are some of your triggers now?
3: Um, I... (laughs) triggers are very interesting uh the way i usually like to explain it is that you know your trauma is like a million piece puzzle and triggers happen and when they do like you don't get to control when they happen or how long they last or whatever Mm -hmm. but you know your your brain waits until it feels like you can process it and then it'll just randomly throw another puzzle piece at you and you have to process that piece of the puzzle and figure out where it fits in Mm -hmm. so that you can deal with the trigger and move past it and i've done that with a lot of them i used to have a lot more but um, at this point uh it mainly just comes down to not being believed is a big one and not even just in regard to the rape itself but just in general when people don't believe something i'm saying it takes me back to that and uh the abandonment with my husband after he stormed off after the rape happened and he left and disappeared for hours. So those are pretty much the two big ones and that's primarily with me and my husband, I guess, mm-hmm. which makes sense, but yeah. What has,
1: what have you found the most helpful to help you heal?
3: Um, talking to people, honestly, and I really wish that I had done it sooner. I wish that I had gone to the support group when it first happened and, you know, that I had started actually trying to heal a lot sooner than I did, because, you know, I mean, you can write in your journal and all that, and those things are all very helpful, but at the same time, you have to be able to process it, and when you start talking to other people, and you start hearing other people's stories, it really helps you to know that, no, you're not alone, and you're not crazy, and, you know, this isn't your fault, and, you know, then you start helping other people on their healing journeys and you find yourself telling them the same things and you see parts of your own story reflected in their stories and like, it really just creates a sense of security within that community you know mm-hmm. and I mean I've since started the uh, online support group which is you know where we met
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, and I started my Facebook page um, about a year after the rape after I had pretty much given up on the Ever returning my calls, I figured I needed to do something. I started that and then I started the support groups on Facebook at the beginning of this year, and I'm actually now hosting a peer support group locally. Um, so, but yeah, like I really wish I had done that sooner, that I had reached out and connected with people a lot sooner than I did because it could have saved me a
0: lot of pain. Within your relationship, what advice would you give someone who's dealing with this on how to go through it with your significant other? Uh, that is
3: the big magical question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> It, it, really, it really is, though. I mean, I've heard so many stories, and, you know, most relationships don't survive it. And, I mean, there's been a few points where I wasn't sure if our marriage would survive it either. And it is really hard. But I think the main thing to remember is that, you know, it's not anybody's fault. And when we have our meltdowns and we have our triggers and, you know, a lot of the times we will take it out on our significant others because we feel safe with them. And we feel like we can scream and yell and, you know, take out our frustrations on them because it's a safe person, which unfortunately is not great. So, you know, it's like we need to be aware that that happens and that it's not about our significant other. It's about us and it's about our triggers and about how we're processing it. And our partners or significant others need to understand that it's not about them either, that even if we're screaming and yelling at them and blaming them, it's not really about them. Something else is happening. We don't even really know what it is. We don't have control over it. Like, and you practically have to be a saint, honestly, and my husband really is. <laughs> but like you have to understand that this isn't something we control but if you guys can understand that and accept it and both of you realize that okay this is going to happen sometime you know don't take it personally and if you can you know find support groups and or find a therapist find somebody that you can talk to besides your significant other because you need to be able to process it and in that relationship you know you feel like you're supposed to be there to support each other and you're supposed to be there to help each other and it's such a helpless situation so it really does put a grain on the relationship because neither of you knows what to do and neither of you knows how to make it better or to make it go away so you know having a more professional atmosphere like a support group or a therapist that you can talk to and process with is going to be a lot better and that way you're not taking it out on each other all the time
1: did your husband seek any outside help like maybe even a support group or someone to talk to Um,
3: He's a very quiet, introverted type, Um, so, I mean, he has a few friends and family members that he talks to, Um, and I actually, we had also created a secondary survivor support group through my page, which uh, is still pretty small. I think there's only, like, 30 or 40 people in that one right now, Uh, but, you know, we've been building that group as well and trying to include resources for secondary survivors and things like that, and he's been a little bit hesitant to do that Um, we have gone to marriage counseling which did help a little bit and right now we're looking into doing uh, individual therapy because like I said after years of trial and error I've come to the conclusion that we really need a secondary outlet we need something other than each other to process this like I know everybody wants to do it alone everybody wants to oh I can just you know suck it up and power through and we can get through this it's like no you need help like you do. You need to get help from someone. You need to have somebody that's not directly involved that you can talk to, that can relate, that can understand you so that you have a safe place to process those emotions without triggering each other, essentially.
1: Um, I'm not sure if you've touched on this. Um, How long after um, your assault did you seek professional help? Like therapy
3: or anything? Uh, like I said, that would have been beginning of this year, so about two and a half years.
1: Did you have any concerns when it came to that?
3: Yeah, I mean, like I said, with the support groups here, because it is such a conservative area, you know, I was worried that, oh, well, you know, the other people would probably have real rapes that were violent that they remember and, you know, that they would end up blaming me, which it was not the case. It was just my own paranoia, but mm-hmm. so that kept me away from doing it. That and as far as therapy goes well that is very expensive <laughs> <laughs> and we have five kids and all kinds of other things to deal with so forking out a few hundred dollars a month for therapy and I mean even with insurance you know they don't always cover it or they'll only cover it after you max out your deductible or whatever so I mean like I said, in, in a perfect world but and and there are resources out there too I mean like I said with the non-profit organizations and with like women's shelters a lot of them do offer the free group therapy and they do offer even individual therapy and you know you can get that for free I mean yeah you might have to be on a waiting list but it is there
2: yeah
3: so I just I feel like people really need to be aware more of their local resources that have those services because you know, like I said, that was one of the biggest things with me, too, was that I was like, well, I would go to therapy, but we can't afford that. Like, we can barely afford putting gas in the car. Like, you know, okay. just life happens. Right. It's,
0: it's a lot to have to deal with. Like, on top of everything, then you have to try to get help and find resources that's either free or little to nothing and incorporate it into your schedule. Like, it's a lot that people don't realize that goes into the whole assault and going through all of it. Like the mental, um, trying to get your mental back in order and going about doing it.
1: Right. What is the one advice that you would give survivors or close people of
3: survivors to help us better, to help themselves better? Uh, Talk about it. Share your story. Put it out there. Because, you know, my story is not all that unique. Not really. I mean, sure, details may be different for each person, like you said before. But... At the end of the day, you know, this is way more common than people want to admit, and it's not going to change, and the juries are going to be made up of people who are never going to prosecute because they don't understand. And until society starts to understand, nothing's gonna change. Our laws aren't gonna change, our juries aren't gonna change, our prosecutors, our police officers, none of it's gonna change. And they can have all the training in the world, but the reality is so much better than any training pamphlet they're going to get. They need to hear these stories. They need to understand what really happens and the realities of these crimes. Because like I said, with our rape culture, Everyone thinks, oh, well, if it's not a stranger that violently assaulted me and broke bones and I was, you know, Mm -hmm. laid up in the hospital, then it's not valid. And that's not the reality. Those cases are actually the minority. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, the overwhelming majority of rape are, like, mine is an acquaintance rape, which still counts as I knew my rapist. So it wasn't a stranger rape, and most of them aren't. Most of them are people you know it's a friend it's a family member it's a neighbor it's a teacher it's you know a boyfriend or a husband or a girlfriend for that matter and you know especially with like male survivors too oh my god they have such a hard stigma with it because mm-hmm. you know they don't even qualify it as rape for men they they call it uh, made to penetrate mm-hmm. they only can qualify it as rape if it was anal rape which makes things even more confusing because then you see these statistics oh you know one in six men or something that is raped and it's like yeah but you're not taking into account those that were made to penetrate like that's not even part of that statistic so even male rape happens way more frequently than people realize because it's not technically classified as rape
1: it's classified as made to penetrate thank you And it's so more underreported. Rape already is underreported. And if you add that to that, it's way more.
3: Oh yeah, I mean, the Utah Health website even says that you know over 80 percent of sexual assaults in utah are not reported Mm -hmm.
2: like it's
3: insane and we have one of the higher rates of sexual assault in the country
1: yeah i believe a list came out and utah was one of the highest states colorado was another higher state alaska was like number one yeah yeah um do you want to let our audience know where to find your pages if they need support if they want to find people to help them or just hear them out or for them to share their story, you know, in a judge-free zone? Yeah,
3: absolutely. Uh, My page is The Answer is No, K-N-O-W, little A on words there. It's the idea that the more you know, the more power you have to say no. And uh, we have our survivor support group, which we have, I believe, over 400 people there now. Uh, And you can find both of the groups are there on the page. So if you find The Answer is No page, it will have links to both the survivors. Support group, as well as the secondary survivors support group. Um, I also have a website that I've been working on, but I haven't gotten. The domain name purchased for it yet so uh it used to be linked to the page but then facebook changed its rules
1: so yeah i would anyway i I would link all of this in the description below for everybody to have just so it'll directly once they click it it'll take them to the page and they'll be able to see the post they'll be able to share their stories of course um there is a procedure for you to become a member just because it is a safe space for everybody. And I've been, I am a member of the group. And it's just like you said, the amount of stories that we hear, that we see our similarities, like it makes you be like, I'm not crazy. I'm not just going through this.
3: hmm And I, I and mean, the online groups are so nice too because you know I've had a lot of people that you know like with me in the beginning like I couldn't afford to go hire a therapist and pay you know a hundred bucks a week to go process with all this stuff and you know even the support groups with being in a smaller more rural community I was terrified of going in and doing that and you know there's some people in the group I mean there's people from all over the world Mm -hmm. in our group and you know a lot of them are in places where they don't have access to therapy or they don't have support groups locally available to them and so it is nice and you know one of the best things to me is that it's like since it's online and there's people from all over there's almost always somebody online someone is almost always in there paying attention so even if you're having a meltdown at 3 o'clock in the morning chances are you can go in there and post and somebody is going to respond
1: yes yes that is so so true thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story for opening up uh for the support group for you know enlightening us even in secondary survivors that a lot of people are not aware of a lot of people probably don't even think about and that is something that you know needs to be spoken about this whole topic needs to be spoken about and needs to you know light needs to be shined into this topic because we just walk around like it doesn't happen yeah
3: and it does it happens more often than people know and you know it's like there are very 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 few people that i know that don't have some me too story or another either of their own or of somebody that is close to them like we all know survivors and secondary survivors
1: so do you want to let them know where to find us
0: yes guys check us out on ig underscore girls dot like us and you can email us at girls like us 619 at gmail also follow us on facebook at girls like us 619 Check us out on all the social platforms and listen to us: um, iTunes, Spotify, uh, iHeart Radio, Stitcher, Google Play. Just about every um, social platform that you can think on, we are on. Please just take a you know minute out. Knowledge is knowing. Get some of this knowledge. We would love for you to tune in.
1: Also, always remember that there is the National Sexual Assault Hotline, and that number is eight 800- hundred. 656 6, hope again the number is 800-656-4673 6, 6, and like charlotte mentioned before please don't forget to rate us um don't forget to follow us um please 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 and thanks, thanks for, listening for listening to girls like, like us, us.